Have you ever imagined where you would go if you had a time machine? What event in history would you like to be there to witness? Some people might have a more historical bent, and they may want to be in Independence Hall uh, in July of 1776 to see the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Others might have a military bent, and they would love to be, maybe from a distance, at the storming of the beaches of Normandy in World War II. When I was growing up, hearing the stories of the Bible, I often thought to myself, I wish I could go back and without the inconveniences of the first century, somehow witness the events that I read about in the Bible. The writer Luke wants his reader, which is you and me, he wants them to have that same feeling as he describes the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, as we come uh, to chapter 4, verse 31, and Luke is still introducing the life and ministry of Jesus, he wants to zoom in on the characteristics of Jesus' ministry. While the rest of the book certainly will repeat these themes, this is the introduction to how Jesus' ministry works itself out in the first century there in Israel. And so I want us to listen, and as I read God's Word, I want maybe for you just to listen, close your eyes, and imagine being there, being an eyewitness, for that is certainly the idea that Luke is trying to impart to his reader or to his listener. Listen now as I read from God's Word, Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 31, and then looking down all the way through the end of the chapter. Listen to God's Word. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out many of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. 
And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Thus ends the reading of our text. When we study God's word, we need his help so that we can learn from it and grow from it. And so let's pray and ask for that help right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you that even though we could not be in the first century where Jesus lived and ministered, we can read these eyewitness accounts and we can hear the story told with spirit-inspired skill. And I pray even now as we hear your word that you will enable us, O Lord, to be taught by the same spirit, Lord, that worked through Jesus and that worked in the lives of the people we read about, that your spirit will teach us and change us and enable us to become more like Jesus. And Lord, I pray for this one who preaches that you will help me to speak your word in a way that will draw people closer to you and will give you glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, as we look at this text, I want us to break it down into three different sections. First of all, I want us to see authority and action. Secondly, I want us to look at compassion for captives. And lastly, I want us to look at the priority of preaching. You see, each one of these is exhibited in this passage, and it's important for us to see them because here the writer Luke is writing something that is not only talking about a day and a half, but it's talking about the characteristic way that Jesus did his ministry as he walked here on earth. And so let's look at those three in order. First of all, authority and action. Notice the first part of the story from verse 31 through verse 37. We see that Jesus is in a synagogue in the town of Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was about 800 feet under sea level and was on the north end of the Sea of Galilee. And this, as we will see as we go through the Gospel of Luke, kind of became a home base of sorts for Jesus. It was somewhere he would come back to periodically. But this is our first account of Jesus's ministry here in Capernaum. And it is in the context at the beginning of him teaching, preaching in the synagogue. Now, the verb tense there of uh, verse 31 uh, shows that this was not a first time or only time practice, but was a usual practice in the ministry of Jesus. That when he went to new places, he would teach and preach in the synagogues where he went. But his teaching was not teaching like people were used to hearing. Notice that there in verse 32, it says that when people heard the teaching and preaching of Jesus, they were astonished. Now, truthfully, as a teacher and preacher myself, I would love it if people were astonished by my preaching. However, it was understandable that the people who listened to Jesus were astonished because he was not like anyone that they had listened to before. Why? Because normally they would hear 
a rabbi or a scribe that would come to them, and their teaching was pretty much uh, taking many different sayings in their tradition that had been handed down for centuries and teaching basically on the authority of the tradition itself. Jesus comes along, and instead of teaching based on all of this previous teaching and understanding of Scripture, he is teaching and preaching based on his own authority, not the authority of the tradition. You see, he is speaking God's Word directly from God to the people. And that's why they say that it has this unique characteristic that his Word possessed authority. Now, what I love about that there in verse 32 is they say his word possesses this authority before he actually does anything miraculous. It's just his preaching. You see, his preaching was different in kind than what people were used to hearing. But this authority was not something that was just abstract or only thought or imagined in the minds of people, but it was demonstrated in action. And we see that here in this text. Here we see that Jesus is confronted with a man who has uh, been enslaved in captivity to this evil spirit, this demon that is inside of him. Now, even as I bring up that subject, I know that some who are listening may be saying, wait, wait, wait. We've already covered the devil a couple weeks ago, and now you're talking about a demonic spirit. Come on, man, we're in 2021. Well, the reality is, if you get outside of the Western, you know, sort of first world culture, you'll find that uh, spiritual forces are very noticeable and at work in many parts of the world, even today. Just because we have explained away these things doesn't mean uh, that they don't exist and that they didn't exist in rather uh, unbelievable ways here in the first century. You see, as Jesus' authority is beginning to spread there in the first century, the resistance of the forces of evil shown in demonic activity was at a peak because the devil wanted to derail the ministry of God's son who came to this world. Okay, so we've covered that part. As Jesus encounters this man who is possessed by a demon, notice what happens. The demon knows who Jesus is. Isn't that interesting? Luke writes his gospel, so Theophilus, the one he writes it to, and every other person who reads his gospel will know the identity and the work of Jesus. This demon here in chapter 4 knows exactly who he is. What does he call him here? The Holy One of God. Holy One of God. And this expression that he uses there in verse 34 is interesting. Ha, what have you to do with us? Is basically a statement that says, hey, Jesus, what do we have to do with one another? And the reality is they don't have anything to do with one another. Because one is trying to lead people to... Uh, honor God and enjoy Him to the fullest. And the forces of evil are seeking to destroy and demean people and keep them in captivity to their own desires and the evil temptations of the evil one. 
And so Jesus shows that his authority is an abstract, but is real by putting it into action in the expelling of this demon from the man. And notice how he does it, because it's different than teaching people we're used to as well. You see, the exorcism of an individual with a demon was not unknown in the world in which Jesus lived and ministered. But normally, there was a lot of, you could call it mumbo-jumbo, a lot of incantation, uh, specific things you were supposed to say, specific things you were supposed to do. But Jesus doesn't need any of that, for he is one with authority. He simply speaks and the demon must leave. And I love how Luke, the compassionate, says, and by the way, in case you were wondering, the man from whom the demon left was okay. Now, of course, now the people who had heard him preach and were astonished are on a whole different level of astonishment at this point in time. We see that there, you know, in uh, verse 36 it says, what is this word, the people say, for with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits. What impressed the person who was an eyewitness of Jesus is that he put authority in the, into action through his power. The reality is that many of us try to separate these things even today. We may say to ourselves, I like Jesus, the teacher, because he had so many good and helpful things to say, but I don't know about these miracles. Or someone else might say, I think it's pretty, pretty neat that he was able to do all these wonderful things through his power, but I'm not sure that I really want to listen to his teaching. What Luke is saying is if you take Jesus, you have to take all of him, which includes his authority that's put into action through his miraculous power. Now, of course, we see many other instances of this power at work, and we go through the text, but I think the rest of these stories are also pointing at another characteristic. And so that characteristic is compassion for captives. Now, when I use this language, I'm really referring uh, to the text that I covered in last week's message. It's from Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. There, Jesus is quoting from the prophet Isaiah, from Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. And there he says that the, Spirit, uh, that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's certainly what we see in the first part of this passage. Jesus proclaiming uh, this good news to those who are spiritually or economically poor. But next, that text said, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And so there are all kinds of captivities. There's mental captivity, spiritual captivity, physical captivity, and all of them are a result of the reality that this world is not like God made it. I know that's a struggle. For many people, why is the world so messed up? We think that specifically in this time of COVID-19. Why is it possible for an epidemic to ravish the world? The reality is it's not because this is just the way the world is. It is because this is how the world has become. You see, God didn't create this world to be a world full 
of oppression and disease, but he made the world to be a place where men and women lived in perfect harmony with him, with God himself, with one another, and with this world he made. A place of no sickness and no death. And yet, because humanity decided that they would rather have rebellion against God, have independence from God more than they wanted, fellowship and communion with Him, our world, technically and theologically, what we call it fell. It fell into a different state from which God created. Jesus has come because He knows this world and its fallen state is full of captives of every kind. And He has come to show compassion for those captives. I get this idea of compassion from first this story of Jesus going to the home of Simon, who we're going to hear a lot more about as we go on through the book of Luke. And as he goes to her home, someone tells them that uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a high fever. Now, uh, considering that they were 800 feet below sea level, some writers believe that she could have been suffering from malaria, which of course is a very uh, deadly disease today as well as in the first century. And so this high fever would have had other symptoms that accompanied it. And they wanted to know if Jesus could use that authority in action for her. And he does. Why? Because he not only has this authority and power, but he loves people. And so he goes to Peter's mother-in-law and he rebukes the fever. Now that's fascinating because that word for rebuke is the same word that's used for Jesus rebuking the, the demon that was in the person in the passage just before this. And what this does, it really helps us see that the issues and captivities of sickness and uh, death are connected to the demonic forces that are rampant in the world because of the fall of this world into sin. They are connected. Are they the same thing? No. In no way am I saying that Peter's mother-in-law had sinned and so she was sick. Not at all. But I'm saying sickness itself is a result of the world not being the way it's supposed to be. And so Jesus here rebukes it. It says, when I'm around, I don't want to see these reminders of the fallen nature of the world. I want to give you a foretaste of the world that will come, a world that will return and be even more glorious than the world was created to begin with. And so he shows his compassion for uh, Simon's mother-in-law, who's not named interestingly, uh, but notice what happens. Her healing doesn't take uh, minutes, hours, or days, but immediately she's well enough to get up and to serve others, which is an amazing picture of a response to the gracious compassion of Jesus Christ. But then we find out that when the sun went down, many, many people came, and many brought who were brought who had illnesses of various kinds. Now you may be wondering, why did they wait until the sun went down? Well, they did that because it was a Sabbath day, and the Sabbath day had all kinds of rules uh, that involved what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath day, and you certainly couldn't travel great distances on the Sabbath. And so they waited until the Sabbath was over at sunset, and they could come and seek compassion from Jesus. 
And notice the language that here Luke uses. He says that each one of them, not only that he healed, but that he touched. I love how he says that. He laid hands on every one of them and healed them. He laid hands on them. Now, maybe you've seen someone on TV lay hands on people uh, to heal them, and uh, I won't really make too many comments about that. But what Jesus was doing was he was showing, I see you, I'm with you. Writers say that there are at least three different ways we can understand this act of compassion. One, that Jesus could have simply been showing that he identified with those people. He had empathy for them, which is a way of showing his compassion. By touching them, he was saying, we're in this together. Isn't that a comforting thought? In our days of illness and the fear of illness and the loss of so many people we care about, that Jesus doesn't stand outside of it, but he is with us And if he were here, he would touch us and remind us of his presence and empathy for us. But others say that it also could mean that Jesus was actually giving a blessing to those people. Not only was he healing them or expelling the demon uh, from those people, but he was actually giving them a blessing from God. He was not just taking care of this problem they had at this moment, but he was saying, may God in the future be a blessing to you. That's what it would mean. Or thirdly, it could mean that Jesus in his identification with them was doing something even more than empathy. That what he was doing was he was saying, this healing is because of your association with me. Now, what would that be? What well, means that they were able to be healed because Jesus was going to take care of sin and the fall and all the consequences of it by taking it into himself. Now, this is more theoretical, but it certainly happens as we go on through the gospel and get to the death of Jesus on the cross. Why did Jesus die? He wasn't part of the fall. He had not sinned. He had not rebelled against God. He had not been independent of God, but completely 100% dependent upon him, and yet he dies. And it's a death that the Apostle Paul tells us made him a curse. How is this possible? Because he identified himself with our own sin and the sin of the fall so that he might redeem those who believe in him from it, that they might be free from all of the effects of the fall. He rose from the dead on the third day to show, in fact, that he had done it so that all who believe in him can have the joy of relationship with him now and the promise of relationship with him and perfection when his kingdom is brought to consummation in the future. So that would be amazing. This is what Luke is writing. He's saying, if you could have been there, you would have said, look, at his compassion for those who are captive to this world filled with the consequences of sin. But lastly, I want us to look at the priority of preaching. You can only imagine what would have happened with Jesus doing all of these wonderful works and showing his identification with these people. They would have wanted him to stay forever. But Jesus knows 
He can't stay forever because his mission is not just to preach to this group of people there on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, but his mission is to preach to Jewish people all over Israel. His mission is to make sure they hear about the fulfillment of all that God promised in the person and life of Jesus Christ. And so what happens as these crowds go to him and they want him to stay? Notice what he says. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Here he's giving us a clue into what is his purpose. What drives him? What basically summarizes his mission here on the world is to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news that I shared with you moments ago. The good news that people could be right with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, he was proclaiming, it's here, it's near. But as we continue to see and follow his life, through his death and resurrection, he said, it's now. And it's moving forward. Even though there will be a consummation of one day, the kingdom of God has come in the person and work of Jesus. And he knew that as much as he could have stayed and put up a big tent and had an outpost for miraculous healing and created a huge following and been the most popular person in Israel, that his mission wasn't to pursue popularity, but his purpose was preaching the good news of the kingdom. Now that is very informative for us because it shows us that we need to look to Jesus, not just for the bennies, the benefits that we believe that he gives to us, but we need to seek him for the message he brings, the kingdom of God, the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, John the Baptist, as we read about a couple of chapters ago, came before Jesus and encouraged people to prepare themselves for the, the coming of this new uh, manifestation of the kingdom of God. Jesus now says, it's right here. It's right here. And he must preach it from place to place to place. Now, why is that important for us? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, you believe in Him, you've trusted in Him and Him alone to be your Savior, then it means that our priority is not just enjoying all of the physical uh, or emotional benefits that come with being a follower of Jesus, but to actually be an echo of the preaching and priority that Jesus had to proclaim the kingdom of God. That's why Christians, uh, when they go out into other countries and areas, they not only do wonderful acts of mercy and kindness, perhaps establishing uh, venues for education and other very helpful things, but they must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's still the priority of those who follow Jesus. You see, our priorities cannot be the opposite of Jesus's priorities. They must be aligned. And so that's why we proclaim the gospel week in and week out, day in and day out. 
And that's why every person who follows him should have some part of their life that can be reasonably seen as a continuation of this proclamation. For, for Jesus, his priority was preaching. You see, he did these wonderful things. He definitely exercised the demons. He definitely healed people. But that was the point to his main purpose, to proclaim to those who were in need and in captivity that their freedom was here. It was nigh. I pray that as we continue in our life and our following of Jesus, that we will understand his priorities, that we will be comforted by his compassion, and that we will always yield to his authority in action. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for how good you are to us. And pray that now that you will bring these truths home to our hearts, that they will be manifest in our life in a way that reflects your truth and goodness, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for our time in God's Word. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, we put the information here on the screen so that you can reach out to us and uh, say hi or uh, ask a question or let us know how we can pray for you. Or if you're so led, you can support the ministry of King's Cross as we seek, especially as the pandemic uh, you know, comes to an end in the future, uh, to build a church here in Fort Mill, South Carolina that proclaims the message that stays on the priority that Jesus has here taught us about, the priority of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. We'd love to hear from you. Now listen to this blessing that comes uh, from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.